They say that first impressions count, but what if people's impression of you is never who you actually are? I'm Gem Turner. I'm a three foot one, wheelchair using, disabled Yorkshire lass who's fascinated by people and human connection. This podcast will delve into the weird and wonderful interactions we all have every day, because I know we've all got those stories. I'll be interviewing some of my favourite people to find out their own unique experiences too, so hopefully we can all learn something together. So sit back, relax, if you can, and enjoy! Hey, look, can't hear you. Can you hear, can you hear me now? Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> now it's real. Oh, days. Oh. Hello, and welcome to First Impressions. I'm so excited for you to meet my friend Connor today. I really think you're going to enjoy this one. I just wanted to let you know that topics we discussed today do involve self-harm, suicidal thoughts and attempts just for anyone who would want to know and you can feel prepared anyway sit back relax and enjoy first of all i usually just ask people to like introduce themselves tell me where you are in the world um and then visually describe yourself for the listeners because obviously we're just hearing voices so Mm -hmm. Uh so i am in bristol uh literally love this city uh, i came here for university and then just didn't want to leave um and i am well i'm 5'11 well not quite i'm like 5'10 and three quarters but i'll push that <laughs> three quarters <laughs> is very important yeah, it really is isn't it um i'm white i'm male um got short sort of browny blondish hair um sort of medium-sized person i guess (laughs) like not not like i don't know just yeah that's how do you i don't know how else to explain myself really (laughs) that's perfect thank you for introducing yourself um usually what i do to start the conversation is actually tell the guest my first impression of the guest and obviously we've not known each other that long it's been about six months maybe Mm -hmm. um and we met at the so we were on a disability panel together Mm -hmm. and I remember because I was like the youngest at the beginning I was waiting for the event to start and then you came along and I think I made an awkward joke just felt awkward and you laughed at my joke straight away and I was like this is great this is who I want to connect <laughs> with. Because um, I think we both do use humour sometimes, don't we, to like mm. make people feel comfortable. Um, and yeah, from then on, you invited me onto your podcast, uh, Brain Dump, which we will talk about later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I think that you're really good at doing is opening space for people to be vulnerable, which we'll definitely talk about soon um and I think that just shows how I mean we've literally just been messaging every day from that one literally uh I can't believe it really um it's uh, I'm not gonna lie it's one of the best things to come out of podcasting uh I feel like we have a proper friendship um and by complete chance that we happen to be on the same panel like I 
I, yeah, I can't even tell how lucky that was. And yet I feel really grateful that we've managed to stay in contact for all this time. Yeah. And like, I had a pact with myself to be more vulnerable and to open up more um, because I knew I was using humour to sort of cover up almost uh, the hard stuff. So I do think it's weird that we met at that moment where I had that goal, but I didn't really know how to, to sort of start it. And I do think your podcast kind of helped me practice. So thank you for inviting me. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. And thank you for, you know, all the support over the last few months. So, you know, it's been, been amazing. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, you have had to listen to a lot of me. Oh, I don't know. I am. I wear my heart on my sleeve. So if you ask me how I am, I'm not gonna, just going to be like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm like, well. But if I'm honest, I think I, I wish more people were like that. I think uh, yeah. too often you get people who go, hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Or I'm okay. And it's like, it doesn't give people much opportunity to really expand on how they are actually feeling. Um, you know, I think, you know, putting your heart on your sleeve is a very courageous thing to do. Uh, and I think, you know, it's partly why we got on so well is there is that shared vulnerability and it's, we're just wearing who we are on our sleeves and we're not hiding from that. Well, at least I don't think we are. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're trying, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> that's all we can do. I definitely think we both um, say so much, but then we keep a little bit back. But I think that's quite natural. Like, it's really hard to just open up straight away, isn't it? Mm, definitely, definitely. There's definitely a bit of a warm-up uh, phase with anyone. Uh, and there's... I think that's why vulnerability is so important. It really is like a, a, a flag or a marker of, oh, I can trust this person. You know, they're willing to, to, to be open and honest with me. I can do the same. Um, and there's little, little moments that really build on that trust. Um, but again, it takes courage to, to do that in the beginning. So, yeah. So back to you. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of digging. Oh. around you for those podcasts <laughs> not gonna lie you're not as public as me like all I could look at was your podcast and your Instagram um but I found looking at your Instagram very very interesting mm. because I do feel like you see uh, in quotes the growth just from the images so I kind of wanted to bring up that difference of you as a person like, uh, just to sort of give context, like, you know, you were very sporty and active, um, you know, doing videos of climbing walls and stuff, got your hench images out. Um, and obviously, you've gone through a lot since then. Um, but yeah, what kind of a person were you when you were younger? Oh, it's, it's difficult to sort of put into context really because I feel like a completely different person like like you say like looking back and it's it's almost quite hard to relate to my younger self but as a teenager um I was incredibly sporty like that was my focus my focus was kickboxing I yeah and I was also quite uh, aggressive I guess I was quite um 
yeah, it was a very do or die attitude to a lot of things that I that I did. Um, and I could be quite cold, I think. I was quite a lone wolf. I had like my my few close friends, but as a teenager, I was uh, a little bit hostile, I guess. Like I wasn't openly nasty to anyone or anything like that, but I didn't, I wasn't exactly warm either. And then all my efforts went into sports uh, and very tunnel vision in that sense. I think I didn't really have much else that took my interests or anything like that, simply because I'm, I was very much identified by kickboxing and, my, and sport in general. Um, so hence why there's a lot of Instagram pictures and things about, you know, being physically active. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I, even at college, I was quite a lone wolf. Um, like I didn't necessarily hang out with too many people, like, and people were really nice in that. Um, but I sort of kept myself to myself a bit more. Like looking back, I probably missed out on a lot of really good friendships. Um, but there was, there's a sort of, uh, I don't know, different culture at school that I didn't really feel a part of. Um, and so I sort of distanced myself from that a bit, um, which I think confused a lot of people, which I don't blame them. <laughs> I was going through a lot at the time. Uh, so yeah, I think quite a complex character, but yeah, I'd say sort of lone wolf, maybe a bit hostile. And did you like seek out people like that or did you sort of try and get comfort in some way? Interesting. Um, almost, I don't know, actually, because thinking back, my closest mates uh, were not like that at all. Um, so like my, my mates, Ed and Cam, who... I go go a long, a long way back. Are really they're heart on their sleeves kind of guys. They're really just generally nice guys, having a good time. Really curious about a lot of things. A lot of the things that I'm interested in, they're also interested in. Um, I had surrounded myself with a lot of people who could be sort of you know uh, macho jock types. I guess um, I guess that was the nature of kickboxing. A lot of people it comes with the territory really um but i think the people i naturally resonated with were more big thinkers really people who were happy to ask questions like are we the only people in the universe are there you know aliens or uh, really you know abstract concepts like that where i get completely carried away with uh and ed and cam filled that and we would you know have weekends of just nerding out about star wars and things so on the outset, I was this one person, but on the inside and who I, you know, my close mates were, was a completely different person. Um, but I kind of sheltered that, I think. I sheltered that sort of natural creativity um, and filled these sort of, I don't know, macho jock boots that really didn't fit me. <laughs> That's so interesting, isn't it? Like, and in terms of like kickboxing, do you think that kind of filled something that you needed to let out yeah I think um so I originally got into kickboxing because my parents broke up when I was uh, about 10 10 11 uh and my mum was like he needs some some male influence in his life you know without a father figure like get him in kickboxing and 
I literally fell in love with it. Like it just became this incredible outlet for all of that sort of, you know, need to have a bit of a purpose. Um, you know, there was something that I was mastering in a way, like, and it, there was certainly a lot of aggression outlet in, in that. Not that I was a particularly aggressive uh, kid. Like, I think that only came out as a teenager, but um, it definitely gave me like a direction and a focus that I really, really valued and a real sense of uh, I was overcoming challenges and I got a lot of joy out of trying to get better at kickboxing. And then I started competing and competing, you know, started, I wasn't very good in the beginning, if I'm completely honest, <laughs> I got beaten up a lot. And then, um, yeah, and then I just started competing and, and things started, you know, I started getting better and and then it became this sort of thing that I did. Like it was just part of who I, who my identity was. Um, so there definitely was, you know, like a sort of a, an alignment in who I thought I was and, and kickboxing became part of that for sure and then obviously you were at university and did you do kickboxing at the side of that yeah I mean so I took a, a gap well I was at college and I won some fairly major kickboxing tournaments I won like a under 19 world amateur tournament and then Ooh. yeah <laughs> and then uh I quickly was like, this is, you know, maybe this is what I should be doing with my, my, my life. And I really wanted to go to university. Like I loved biology and I wanted to study. That was something really important to me. Uh, but there was like a kind of scholarship at university. Um, it's called the high performance squad. Um, so you got, you know, access to top level coaches, nutritionists, psychologists, like incredible uh, opportunity that I applied for. And I managed to get, and so like while I was at university, I was still competing and training, um, but it felt like a part-time job, if I'm completely honest, like this scholarship made it all really real. Like it was, went from something that I was really passionate about and really uh, committing a lot of time to, to something that was, this is something you need to excel in. This is something that, you know, there are people who are investing their time and effort into you and if you don't keep competing at the highest level you can that will all be taken away from you and so for me I felt this huge amount of pressure when going to university as it felt like I was doing two degrees <laughs> one in kickboxing and one in biology yeah, so, yeah. I can imagine like the pressure to perform and to do well that's what takes almost like the fun away doesn't it gone from like your hobby to something that everybody's watching you do hundred percent like for me I the reason I fell in love with kickboxing was it was like this this art this mastery of the body to be able to perform this you know particular skill uh, and of course combat in my mind was and is the ultimate form of competition you know there's two people going head to head one is the winner and it's the most rewarding thing if you win but also the most humiliating so you're really putting your heart and soul on the line and to for that to feel like I was doing it from a love point of view because I wanted to master it to then feeling like I have to do this because 
there's so much riding on it and it was so fully ingrained in who I was and if I didn't have it and didn't wasn't kickboxing it started to feel like who was I like you know that was pretty much everything I had was Connor's the kickboxer like he's this guy who does that and although yeah there was a lot you know provided to me through this sort of scholarship sort of high performance squad thing I no one was particularly putting pressure on me I think that should be really you know highlighted was yeah there was an expectation for me to keep performing as best I could but anyone was cracking that all came from me Uh, it became you know something that I then started to feel like all my self-worth was tied up in winning trophies and this identity of I'm the kickboxer um and so without it 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 just became terrifying it I you know all my vulnerability was held up by the fact that I was this you know hard tough guy who could you know punch people in the face if I wanted to and yeah did you enjoy the sense of people's reaction you know like was your ego boosted at all when people were asking about kickboxing and praising you was he a sense of almost like building your ego up yeah and yes i know it's really strange this one because um yeah 100 the, the, there's no denying that having a bit of a reputation gave you a lot of self-worth it gave, it gave me this sort of like oh, i'm recognized for something uh and that felt good. You know, I, I felt like I was a somebody. Um, and that, you know, of course. And also, like, there's no denying, I really enjoyed it. So it was nice to be recognised for being good at something. Um, but that being said, I would literally could not stand anyone watching me. Like, anyone wanted to watch me fight, and I would hate it. I would hate being on the poster of any kind of fight promo. I would hate... Uh, any kind of being in the limelight. Um, I used to tell myself, oh, if I could fight in a cupboard, I would win every fight just because it was the pressure of people watching me and the, the performance and anxiety that literally destroyed me that I just couldn't cope with that. It's partly why I have so much respect for professional fighters because, you know, not only are they training day in, day out, but they're coping with this ridiculous amount of pressure from the media. Uh, which just I you know even on a small scale at you know friends and family I just couldn't cope with that um, so I think it was a double-edged sword because like definitely recognition and having that kind of association felt really good for my ego but at the same time it felt way too much uh, and I think that was when I realized quite how fragile all of that was yeah and then in terms of timeline because you're very open about mental health and how things deteriorated. I, you know, got into kickboxing around the time my parents broke up, which looking back now was actually quite significant. Like in hindsight, I realise, you know, there's there's probably a few red flags there. Uh, and then my mum had cancer uh, when I was in my teens. Thankfully, she's absolutely fine now. But that was a very traumatic ordeal. Um, I think a lot of my anger as a teenager was around that really. Um, And that definitely got poured into kickboxing. And I think that's when kickboxing started to become a crutch. It started to become something that I 
leaned on to gain self-worth but also regulate my emotions and, and deal with my my difficulties and then my sister got anorexia um and that almost was worse if i'm honest like um thankfully she's also okay <laughs> but um yeah all these traumas and dodging bullets left right and center um but yeah with with my sister um it was like this silent war around every meal time every you know every time she'd be exercising in secret and it was just took a toll on me and my sister and my mom that was just absolutely brutal i think with with cancer it was like okay there's this disease that we need to get rid of we have we're tackling something but with anorexia we we didn't understand it ourselves we you know it was just fights over the dinner table all the time and i think that level of uncertainty and that uh, amount of emotional weight again and i think guy in, in the household um until my mom's partner came along i felt like it was sort of on my shoulders to to be this tough guy to to carry all of that weight so i you know thankfully put that all the past and then got to university all the while kickboxing is getting better and better you know like europeans and worlds and you know fighting in different countries and things coming to university and i kind of lost that sense of I am a, a carer at home or felt like I was at least. And then I always had this kickboxing and then I was meeting all these new people at university and I really became like lost in myself. Um, I didn't know what I stood for. Um, I started questioning a lot of who I was and what I was doing and, uh, and I remember there was one particular fight that I had that I literally trained months for. I'd, I'd been, I'd never trained so hard for one particular fight. It was like a really big title fight that I really, really wanted to win. And in the fight, I got my eye cut open within the first 30 seconds of the fight. And within the first 30 seconds, I, I felt so much more dominant than him. I felt... Like I, I felt really, really confident if I'm completely honest. And this one cut in my eye, um, something that I couldn't control for something that just happened and it completely destroyed me. I felt like I'd lost in 30 seconds because I was a terrible fighter. And as I said, all my self-worth was, was tied up in, in fighting. Um, and in hindsight, you realize it's really not that important. And I've fought many, many times since. But uh, I think it really highlighted to me quite how fragile my self-confidence was. Uh, and didn't really have any, anyone to turn to or didn't have anyone that I felt like I could turn to. I think that's, there's a big difference there. And I started getting in a really, really dark place um, and was thinking suicidal thoughts most days and so i started self-harming quite a lot now this was in sort of the end of my beginning to end of my first year uh, and then my second year i was self-harming quite a lot and i was doing a considerable amount to to try and hide to hide that 
Um, and yeah, and then in the summer of my second year, um, I've been working long, long hours. I still had like a world champs on the horizon that I was training for. So I was really fatigued and I've been self-harming to a ridiculous extent at this point. And I was driving back from work and I was like, I just need this to end. Like, I can't do this. And a massive impulse decision decided to crash my car and attempt to, to take my life. And looking back now, I think, you know, maybe, maybe there was a bit of a way out. Like there are definitely more finite options to choose there, but it, it was a way of me thinking, oh, if this happens, in this circumstance, people think it's an accident. People won't feel guilty or whatever. They'll, you know, move on eventually. Um, but I remember thinking like, this has gone too far. <laughs> this has gone way too far. How has it got to this point? And, and nothing has pulled me out of it. And I, and I'm so stuck in this. Um, yeah, that was sort of uh, in summary. <laughs> And it's interesting how you said you felt like there was no one uh, to talk to. Do you think it was a case of you just didn't feel safe enough to talk about your feelings? Obviously, it just manifested so much over the years that I suppose you wouldn't have got that light bulb moment until you were in the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely, completely. Um it's it's weird to think it looking back now as i said like I, I feel like a completely different person but i was believing this narrative about myself that i just couldn't walk away from like i couldn't see beyond the narrative and the thoughts that i had about myself um my i never showed vulnerability in fact i actually still find it quite difficult to process emotions and understand emotions because I feel a lot quite disconnected from myself. I feel like I'm still trying to navigate that. Um, but yeah, there were definitely people around me, like my mates Cam and Ed or my mate Jack or, um, you know, those sorts of people who were there that almost certainly I could have turned to, but I, I felt like I couldn't, you know, the, I was so scared of confronting that, that I, I also think I was scared to confront it myself, if I'm completely honest. Um, there was one pivotal man in my life and that was my coach, Dave Rowland. And I still don't think he knows to this day um, the impact that he had on my life. Um, I remember, uh, yeah, I mean, he, I think he'd had, he'd had his eye on me for some time and he was in charge of my strength and conditioning. Uh, so I saw him, you know, pretty much every day. And he, I remember one day I, well, he we kept checking up on me like he i think he might have had some sort of history in, in himself but uh after the car crash i went stupidly i went to training the next day super concussed like not really like piecing it all together still complete mess and jokingly was like oh i crashed my car yesterday like obviously i totaled my car so didn't exactly have any excuse um and he pulled me aside and was like, this is a really big deal. Like you can't just turn up at training, like, you know, battered and bruised. Um, he took me to a coffee shop and uh, he was like, look, Connor, you're, you're not happy. And I literally just 
broke down in tears, like in the middle of his coffee shop. And he'd just seen through the facade or he'd, he'd chosen to acknowledge it. Um, and literally from then on out, he would, we would have really deep text messages uh, and he would, you know, really sort of, he was his first sort of like outsider. Cause I think uh, Gina, my partner, has, I would almost say was the the pillar and foundation of my recovery. She has been the cheerleader since day one. Uh, it was actually pretty traumatizing. Like we were reading some text messages from back back then, and some of the things I was coming out with were so dark. And I, you know, she was very young herself at the time. So although Dave was very much a a, a pivotal, you know, change in in that being an outsider i cannot understate how important gina has been in my recovery and loving me even when i couldn't love myself for anybody listening who feels in any way similar um we have to try and seek out the safest people um possible but also the people listening who have the energy to support others and you think something's going on you know those conversations are absolutely vital aren't they Mm -hmm. Um, and completely and I think a lot needs to be said for those people who are supporting those with mental health uh, issues because I think the toll it took on Gina and I don't think she really turned to anyone is extreme Um, and looking back now I'm quite amazed that she would you know had to go through what she did like I remember there were times where she was literally cleaning me up after I'd cut myself open and was bleeding all over the bathroom and you know she's like a 19 20 year old girl dealing with with that is just completely unfair um and of course she's got her own own things to be dealing with um and and if you you know you're looking out for someone who you think might have a an issue or you you worried about them slightly a gentle a gentle question can go a really long way a really really long way just giving someone that space to with empathy just to understand how they might be feeling um because you never know who it might help and and how much feeling heard can be because as much as we say it's okay not to be okay we really need to embody that I think too many of us, like going back to the beginning of the podcast, you know, say, yeah, I'm fine. And it, everything gets brushed under the carpet. And if you're someone like I was five years ago, you just carry on and you, it goes on acknowledged and made that much, much more toxic later down the line. Yeah, definitely. And it's hard and it? it's like you say, people say, you know, be kind and it's okay not to be okay. But as soon as the word suicide or any kind of self-harm is mentioned, some people do just freeze, don't they? They don't know what to do. Um, Did you have any points where, you know, you talk about, I mean, you're very open about it now and you'll talk about it, you know, when it comes into conversation. Do you get different reactions from people a lot? Yeah, big time. I mean, it's it's difficult now because it's i mean one i'm such a different person that i think it's quite hard for people to to relate um 
I also got all my self-harm scars covered up with a, a big tattoo, mainly to mark, you know, a new chapter, put it in the past for my sake, more than anything. So I don't think people, it's not as easy to spot as it, as it were. Um, but they're definitely in the past. Um, I've had some very strange reactions. Uh, I remember I used to, we used to wear an armband over my scars. Um, I was just so terrified of people seeing them and I still wanted to be able to kickbox. And so I used to, you know, blow it off as some kind of kickboxing injury when reality was, you know, it was a lot of scars underneath. But I remember one time I was sort of, uh, we were like wrestling with uh, some mates and the armband came down slightly and there were quite a lot of as a lot of other people are there and my friend saw it the guy i was wrestling with and he instantly went oh my god what is that there's loads of scars like you some kind of masochist and inside i was like wanting him to just shut up shut up shut up like literally like every uh, didn't i was like prickling all over uh and I'd just sort of been exposed in front of a lot of people. Thankfully, I don't think anyone apart from him had seen it. And I remember literally pulling him aside and just went like, don't tell anyone about this. Um, and I was like, yeah, it was just, you know, suddenly ousted, um, made, made me feel all kinds of exposed. Uh, and then, you know, I've had people in the gym look at, you know, like I was you know, weight training in the gym and Gina's clocked people coming up behind me to get a, a better look at my, my scars. Um, and then other time you get people who just don't believe you. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, five years ago, I, you know, I was going through this whole big ordeal. And you're like, sure. I'm like, what do you mean? Sure. Like, I'm not going to lie about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's so strange. And also like, you can't say it's okay to be okay. And then when you tell your story, it's like, no, you didn't. Uh -huh, literally. So in terms of like, if there's anybody listening who has got a family friend or a friend or anybody who has had a situation like that where they've noticed um, something on their arms or wrists, what? because it's difficult, isn't it? Like, no matter how you support somebody, it's such a tough situation to, to try and talk about. Um, but is there any sort of way to approach it, do you think? I don't know if there's a right answer here. Mm -hmm. I, there probably isn't a right answer because I think each situation is different. But I think holding space, no judgment, and empathetically ask them if they're okay or if there's anything that you can do to help them in confidence i think i think that's really really important um you know every, every time in the past where let's say it was gina or dave or whoever it was um it was they took me aside and just wanted to full-heartedly know if i was okay and that that was between them because then if i was like hostile and went yeah i'm fine then it's not the right time. Maybe I don't feel safe for that particular person. And all you can do is, is let that moment go. But I wouldn't give up, you know, like, as I say, timing is, is very, very important. Um, but also you can't force someone to be open and, and vulnerable about these things. Like you, all you can do is, is support them. Uh, I, I've repeated this on many podcasts, <laughs> but I always say that you can't walk the path for someone. You can only walk the path with them. 
And so, yeah, I think holding space, but always showing that you have support, you love them for who they are, regardless of what state they're in. I think those things go a really long way. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And I think people want to be able to, they might just not know how and when to do it. So, But in terms of when you kind of went through that and then thought, you know what, something needs to change, I need to do something, what, what were the first steps that mm-hmm. you took? So I think the first step was acknowledging that I needed help. Um, I think that is, I, you know, you've, I've sort of realized I've got this far on my own and haven't got particularly far. (laughs) 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 I know. And I think it's important to acknowledge how strong you've been to cope with it. Um, but it's not a lack of strength that's got anyone anywhere. It's, you know, it's changing the way that you approach it. Um, so I went to the doctor and, uh, the doctor gave me, um, some antidepressants and I was uh, on the antidepressants and they just kept bumping me up and up and up. And, uh, I then got some counseling, uh, and I cannot explain how difficult it was walking up the hill to my first counseling session. In fact, I remember actually getting the call for my assessment for the counseling to see whether or not, you know, they could help me. Uh, and just crying in the toilet and refusing to pick up the phone three times because I was so scared of acknowledging, you know, I needed this help. And that was unbelievably traumatic. And then walking up the hill to my first session was, uh, I still remember it today. Um, but um, yeah, so then I had, I had counseling. I had uh, 12 weeks counseling. Um, if I'm honest, it wasn't particularly effective for me. I, again, think uh it's a timing thing i wasn't ready i couldn't be open and honest i just sat there in silence and wasted her time the poor poor lady um but actually what was interesting was the medication helped for a bit i felt like i um could keep my head above the surface of the water for a bit like every time anything went wrong i would feel like i was drowning but I felt like for at least some relief, the medication gave me almost like a life raft that I could rest on for a bit. Um, and it wasn't actually until one of my friends um, who was interested in meditation um, and I was interested in meditation, like didn't really know anything about it. I was like, sounds cool, you know, uh, all about that self-development, uh, which was very much the birth of this sort of wanting to understand myself and, learn my way out of of depression and so we started attending these these monday night uh, meditation sessions with this buddhist monk and i really didn't get much out of it i think medication really limited that for some reason not really sure the science behind it but i kept turning up because i it was nice to spend 20 minutes not really doing much and (laughs) i kept thinking like as long as i'm not putting any more negative input in me you know that's going to be a good thing um and kept going i was quite religious about it and started reading literally everything i could about depression and uh all of that really i wanted to understand you know the context in which i was feeling so miserable and uh yeah i cannot explain the benefit that that had on me i think 
really allowed me to identify my thoughts, identify my emotions and realize that there is, there is a difference there. I am not my thoughts and really learning to accept emotions for what they they are rather than being so scared of a lot of them. Uh, and I eventually did come off my medication after about, I don't know, four years. <laughs> um, and then that's when things uh, really, really started to shift. Um, you know, meditating every single day. Um, and I then got injured. Uh, I think it was like a year or so after uh, my car crash. And it forced me out of kickboxing um it i mean i had I had a few bouts of self-harm before uh before before really is sort of acknowledging that um but i broke my shoulder um and well actually i broke my finger i did that deliberately to get out of a, a fight that i really just we were meant to be fighting in a in a abroad with a team that I did not want to go with not my cup of tea so did anything I could to get out of it and then so you broke your finger Mike yeah so I was out for quite a while with uh this broken finger uh and then I put kickboxing on hold because I was doing sort of my final year exams uh and then I broke my shoulder so I had this sort of stint out of kickboxing and, and most of it forced you know away from it that really forced me to, you know, cope without my crutch, without my, you know, all my self-worth being poured into kickboxing and really made me reevaluate what I get joy from. Um, and don't get me wrong, I still absolutely love kickboxing and martial arts is something that I will probably do for the rest of my life. But I realized that my self-worth wasn't dependent on that. Uh, I started getting friends that actually care about me. I started caring about my friends <laughs> and I realized that there's so much more to life. And I think keeping like a gratefulness diary, journaling, uh, meditation, it all sort of compiled. Uh, and now I have uh, so much more newfound respect for, for life and, and just being more grateful for for living as opposed to, you know, trophies and all of that. Um, yeah, it's certainly been a journey. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And what I find interesting is since we've got to know each other, you are very, would you say at times you sort of want to just improve, improve, improve? And because it, it's interesting what you said about this didn't work, that didn't work. But controversially, I would say, it was all something to get to where you are. So even though you didn't see the benefits straight away, it must have needed to happen in order to get here. Do you know what I mean? That's not really a question, but it's uh, a comment that, you know, like, do you put pressure on yourself really to constantly improve when actually taking a step back and looking, look how far you've come? Mm -hmm. It's such a interesting uh, question because in fact it's it's both it's a double-edged sword again it's something like it's that desire to constantly improve and get better has been something that 
you know, was as fuel that I, you know, applied to kickboxing and for the wrong reasons. And then, yeah. you know, transferred that to wanting to get better, uh, really fighting for, for better. Uh, and I can get a bit toxic. There's no denying there have been bouts where I feel like um, I'm on this sort of self-development train that gets quite toxic. And I think, I think a lot of this sort of self-development sphere can can be like that oh you've got to be journaling and you've got to be doing this and that and it's like no you've got to be doing what you want to do <laughs> you've got to be doing that you enjoy and otherwise it is completely pointless um and so yeah but i feel like that's a lesson that i have learned i think in the beginning that was really useful because i was literally benefiting from anything um not anything but you know all the all the positive things uh and I've actually gone back into therapy um, for the first time since actually. Uh, but this time I'm, I'm in a really good place. Like I'm in a place where I'm ready to, to confront some of my insecurities and ready to process things. And I realized that I don't know all the answers, nor should I try and get all the answers. Um, it's as much timing as it is anything else. So I think, you know, going back to the question, it's, you know, you need a little bit of effort to try and experiment and, and, and see what works, but it is very much trust the process. You know, you're going to pick up the things that you resonate with and are, you feel like translate things to you. But then I also think there'll be a lot that just isn't, isn't that? And that's okay, but any movement is movement in the right direction. Um, as long as you, you're constructive about it, but I think, yeah, trust the process it's as much about timing you know meditation doesn't work for everyone um you know journaling doesn't work for everyone it, it is whatever you know you personally resonate with i think yeah you gotta pick up and drop what you need when you need uh-huh. try everything yeah, it literally. Works. <laughs> <laughs> that's my philosophy what do i need a bath no <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's so it's so interesting isn't it and like seeing your journey from what you've talked about to where you are now is just incredible um in terms of like everyday life like work um you've had a bit of a change there as well Mm -hmm. so you've gone into learning and development Mm -hmm. so would you say the experiences that you've had have kind of um inspired that in any way oh absolutely absolutely um there's yeah there's no denying that uh that the journey that i've been on has given me a a sort of desire to help people in any kind of way it doesn't matter what what that is whether it's uh you know people are learning to be more confident giving presentation skills or whether it's they're learning to enforce their own boundaries or um literally anything like giving people the space or helping them facilitate growth in themselves both professionally and personally has been something that's a massive uh massive motivation for me i think um not that i you know don't have all the answers but i feel like you can always help people no matter what stage you're at and so that's something i take huge amounts of um pride in and enjoy and i think it's a massive privilege to be able to help people to to become them you know better than they were i guess 
I want to talk about Brain Dump okay. as well, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. obviously that is your baby. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was looking through Instagram, I saw when you first posted about Brain Dump. Uh-huh. Um, so I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about like the aim and why you started it and mm-hmm. yeah, the backstory. Uh, interesting. So this was back when I broke my shoulder um, and I you know, I was training like four hours a day and then suddenly wasn't. <laughs> I was like, well, I have all this time. And uh, I'm a big craver of deep conversation. I think it's something that does my soul a lot of good. I'm a massive introvert. And I personally had benefited so much from learning about other people's perspectives. I felt like a lot of my mental health journey on quotes uh has been as a result of learning about other people's journeys uh learning about other people's struggles and yeah seeing how you're know, empathizing with that you know learning from their experiences and and you know seeing how that might apply to my life or at least having a more, more gratitude to And I thought, well, you know, conversations are great. Podcasts are great. I'll see if I can do my own. And it was a very much a home, homemade job in the beginning, particularly with one arm. I, I uh, managed to, to do all of this while I was in between surgeries. And it started off really small, just interviewing like my mom and my sister about, you know, dealing with anorexia and cancer. And uh, I still struggle uh, with the anxiety of asking people to come on the podcast, but slowly branching out. Um, so yeah, that's where it started. And, um, you know, I was trying to get as many out as possible. And now I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try and focus on, uh, you know, more personal stories or uh, whatever. But I try to get as much on there as possible, you know, from elite sports people to business people, scientists, but naturally, there's also a lot of mental health uh, journeys in there. Um, but yeah, that was kind of like a little hobby that uh, I did. And yeah, really enjoy it. Wow. And what's the reaction been like? Do you get like people you know relating to episodes and yeah it really really depends on the episode to be fair like um for example uh, i might have a coder on there who's talking about the future of ai and people are like whoa this is really fascinating i had no idea the implications of ai and then maybe we'll get uh i don't know let's say um tanisha talking about racism and her own mental health journey and how racism has impacted her and there's been an outpour of people reacting to to that and in you know sort of a oh my god I was never aware of my own white privilege or uh, other stories of people talking about their own vulnerabilities and saying like oh, this I felt really heartfelt and this has really motivated me to to reach out and get help um, so yeah really mixed bag um, met some incredible people along the way like yourself <laughs> and um, nice. yeah it's been great. And then to wrap up, Connor, I just want to talk about the future. So what does the future look like? What are you... Well, I mean, we're in lockdown as we talk. Yeah. How do you feel about coming out of lockdown? Uh, I'm actually quite excited. Um, I'm also slightly apprehensive. I think my social skills have somewhat been lacking. I mean, not the best <laughs> yeah. of the best of times. But um, yeah. I mean, I'm... me, not you. <laughs> I'm <laughs> saying yes to you. <laughs> um but yeah no I'm, I'm already looking forward to going traveling whenever that opens up like I think uh just getting outside and with people without the guilt is something you know 
I, I can't help but feel like when there are people all over the place, people are dodging people and there's this animosity around space the whole time. And just having that level of anxiety reduced, you know, will be unbelievable. Um, yeah, really looking forward to uh, going to the office, which is really strange, but I've started a new job and have yet to meet my team. So that'd be really nice. Um, yeah. And I will come up to York at some point, come see you. <laughs> Honestly, I just can't wait to, like, interact with people face-to-face. Like, yeah, the extrovertness is is gripping on to <laughs> any human possible. But, yeah, that's exciting. I think travelling is going to be – everybody's going to get the travel bug. Mm, where, where do you fancy going? Uh, so, uh, two main places. Um, yeah. In Barcelona, I've got a couple of mates that really want to go to do Barcelona. We've actually booked out a slot in September that we think we might do. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, and my dad lives in Colombia, so I'm going to hopefully go see him as well. Um, I haven't seen him in, I don't know, maybe like a year. <laughs> so it'll be really nice to see him. And he's been spending lockdown on his own out there. So uh, he's probably in desperate need of people. Um, so yeah, there's going to be, it's going to be fun times ahead. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm looking forward to eventually meeting. We can have a mm. cheeky beer slash Prosecco. Oh, Don't love you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. An absolute pleasure. You've been an incredible host, Gem. So thank you. Um, do you want to promo yourself while you're on? Like, where can we find you? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Um, so... Brain Dump can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, my Instagram is just CJ Banny, so C J B A N N I. Brain Dump also has a Twitter page, um, Brain Dump Pod, with uh, underscores in between each word. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that does it really. I'm not big on social media, but <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> Woo, amazing. Well, I'm sure, I'm hoping everybody will follow once they listen. Uh, I'm a massive fan of Brain Dump now. I've subscribed, I get the notifications, so I recommend everybody else does too. Oh, thanks, uh, Jen. So thank you so much. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. How brilliant is Connor? I don't think I actually said it to him, um, but I'm so grateful for him not only sharing his story, but just being such a wise person. And yeah, like he said, a definite highlight for me is making friends with him through lockdown. So yeah, thank you to him. Thank you to you for listening. And I'll see you for the next one. Bye.